everybody. I'm Sean Reynolds from Sportsnet, about to be joined by Ken Weeb from Sportsnet. Together we're Kenny and Rennie, and this is going to be a special edition, a draft edition of the Kenny and Rennie show. Uh, Ken's having some technical difficulties on the other side of this. It's actually kind of a bit of a funny uh, scene for me here, watching him behind the scenes struggle to find internet. Until we get him up and running, uh, we've got a great show coming up for you. We're going to be joined by Eric Engel soon, our Montreal reporter, uh, who's going to dig into <clears throat> a number of things. Of course, they've got the number one pick, so boy, there's a lot riding at stake there. But beyond that, you know, maybe potential fits. I think the Pierre-Luc Dubois situation is an interesting one that we can talk over with him and kind of get engage where the Montreal Canadiens are at in that right now. I think there's a lot of people who believe maybe that's where Pierre-Luc Dubois would like to end up. And as the news sits right now with him set to test free agency as soon as possible. And yes, that's two years from now. But when you've signaled that to your team, I think you've signaled and started the clock that if you want to get something back for me, maybe the time to do that is now or as soon as possible. So we'll talk with Eric about that, uh, amongst other things. Uh, and then we're going to have Sammy the Scarf... Cosentino joining us uh, in the show coming up. Uh, he's got, uh, he's, he's the guy. He's the guy who has the Bible on what we can expect coming up here. Um, so everybody knows if you go and you take a look in the chat, uh, we have po uh, posted uh, the final rankings by Sammy Cosentino. Go click on this uh, or copy and paste it. Go to that article. This is the Bible. This is what you follow. Sammy is bang on with these things. A little bit of difference between he and Bob McKenzie's uh, final rankings. We'll chat with him about that as well. But this will allow us, if you want to kind of follow along and see which players are ranked about where it should give you an idea around the, the, the kind of players that are going to be available when the Jets are picking at 14 and 30, uh, I'm fairly certain. So uh, if you need to go back, go check that out. And we'll work along here. It's almost like I'm, I feel like I'm providing homework. Uh, this is phenomenal stuff. But uh, I did want to say uh, these are some special shows that we've started up here. Uh, and uh, the part of that is uh, we're using the funds from to get Kenny to the draft, where he is there right now. I don't leave for Montreal until... Until tomorrow, but I did want to uh, thank our sponsors uh, who have been absolutely phenomenal for us. I'm going to bring up a board of the Cambrian Credit Union and all the sponsorships and donations that they've done to take part in our community. Uh, and we all know that people are house hunting this summer. So if you're thinking of buying a home, it is a good idea to know what you can afford and to get pre-approved. Getting pre-approved for a mortgage is a key step. So when you find that perfect home, you are ready to take advantage. Apply to get pre-approved for a mortgage at cambrian.mb.ca. Of course, uh, it's one of those things where it's the hair club for men. I'm not just, uh, I don't just own the company. I'm a client. Well, when it comes to Cambrian, I don't just uh, uh, talk about their mortgages. I have a Cambrian mortgage, as does Kenny as well. So I want to thank them. And we'll thank the Johnson Group, who's also pitching in on this later on in the show. So as I mentioned, we're going to have uh, uh, those two joining us. Ken Weeb is going to join us. When he has the opportunity, you know, you'd think as a partner in this podcast, he'd want to take part. He'll be here, ladies and gentlemen, don't worry. Uh, but also, uh, I think we're going to dig into a little bit, you know, some of the stuff that we saw yesterday. I'm interested in having a conversation with Ken about what, you know, adding Rick bonus now before the draft maybe does to the way, A, how the Jets, uh, you know, decide to, to draft. I know that this is something they're basically going to leave to the scouting staff. However, 
Rick Bonus has said that whenever he is asked by his general manager, by his owner, by anyone in the organization, what his opinion is, he will be giving them his unvarnished opinion. Uh, and I'm fascinated at the dynamic that that's going to create, uh, especially, you know, maybe not so much for the draft, but as we go into free agency and as we go into a trade season, which we think the Jets may be somewhat busy in. Uh, it will be interesting to see the dynamic uh, that is added when you bring in um, Rick Bonus, who is going to have a lot to say and won't be afraid to say anything. Uh, still waiting to see if Ken can get up here. In the meantime, I'm going to bring Eric Angles into the show. My good buddy. Oh, there's Ken. He joins at the same time. <laughs> Two for one deal. So, uh, Ken, uh, first off, just uh, how was the flight and uh, how are things looking on the ground there? Oh, no, we're only leaving at 4 o'clock, so uh, we're still still waiting to tell you. You need a better spot, Ken. You need a better spot. you got to set up in a better spot. Uh, So (laughs) let's move on with our Eric, it's good to see you. Bye, Ken. The the Rennie and Angles show is in full swing here. Uh, Good to see you. Um, Can't wait to see you down in Montreal. Looking forward to, A, spending some time with you, B, going out to all the great places that uh, you you have us go when it comes to the food. I know that I'm going to go down to the market there and get that. What is it, a smoked meat? uh, uh, It's a Reuben at Alwyn Barbecue. We're going to give them some free advertising because, oh, my God, these guys – what they do on a summer day in Montreal is spectacular. To set the scene, you go to the Atwater Market, which is just south, um, close to downtown, just on the, the border of downtown, down by the Lachine Canal. And you walk into this open-air market where the, obviously all the purveyors are set up. And then there's a food court that's outdoors with just people that are making the most unbelievable food. And this, this barbecue joint, which I discovered a few years ago, is really one of the best ever. Hi, Tracy. So if you ever come to Montreal, yeah, you need to go there. It's it's unbelievable. Sean, you look great, man. Oh, hey. I just finished mowing the lawn. I just came in here. I got my Winnipeg Gold Eyes 25-year anniversary shirt I always use for mowing the lawn. I appreciate that. You look phenomenal as well. Looks like you shed, uh, you trimmed up quite a bit there, my friend. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been eating my Wheaties and uh, going to the gym and uh, – I feel good. I feel good. good. Everything's great. I'm excited. It's draft week in Montreal. It's uh, you can feel the atmosphere is coming, right? Like you can feel the NHL is descending on Montreal right now. The Canadians have the first pick in the draft in Montreal. They'll be the first team since the Leafs in 1985 when they hosted it in Toronto, and they chose a certain guy who's okay. He had an okay career. His name is Wendell Clark. He's all right. Um, it's it's awesome, you know. It's 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 going to be really hectic. It's going to be really crazy. We're going to work like animals and uh, enjoy it. Um, it t- tell me, is this right? I'd heard that they're scalping tickets for seven hundred bucks to get into that draft. Is that how crazy the fan base uh, is to get into that building? Pe- people are not going to understand me saying this, but I wouldn't pay fifty to sit in the crowd and just watch names get called. But I totally understand how fans are like obsessed with this, you know, like, and I, and they should be like, it is a really exciting, it's a seminal moment for the organization. And, you know, they haven't drafted first overall since 1981. Uh, you know, the fans just sat through a 32nd place season and, and it really looked that way for a good portion of the season. It was miserable. It, it was, people always ask me, Sean, and I know they ask you too, 
Like, what's it like covering the losing team and how bad it is? And, oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, for me, I don't care. I got my job and I do it and I enjoy my job. And so long as there's a great story to tell, that's what I'm cheering for and it's excited. You know, the wins and losses have nothing to do with me. I'm not a part of the team. Um, but I can tell you, you know, I used to say a 10-game winning streak is the same as covering a 10-game losing streak. The monotony is not yes. good for a reporter. Yes. But it's not. You know, when it's when it's a 10-game losing streak and the team loses the same way every single game uh, and it's a misery, it's not, you know, it's it's that much harder to do the job and do it well. Yes, you can you can start to, to get into some really heavy topics and write some really good stuff. But, you know, the participation with the people that you have to deal with on a daily basis is not going to be as good. And it was ugly this year. And I think the fans deserve what's coming for them here because this is a super exciting time. Yeah. You know what? I, I couldn't agree with you more. I've said this before when the Jets went on that run in 2018. They were so consistent and all of their wins looked exactly the same that it got hard to talk about them after a while because they just went on this run, you know, Christmas time and on and every single win looked exactly the same. And it was hard to point out things. You just felt like you were saying the same thing over and over again, copy and paste what they did for last game. And, you know, good teams are consistent teams. Really good teams are consistent teams. Really bad teams are consistently bad teams. So the storylines don't change. It's those teams that hover around eighth place. Those are the ones that get fun to cover job-wise because you never know what you're going to get every night. And I know, you know, the fans who, uh, who've been tuning into Kenny and Rennie and listening to the rest of the year have heard me say this, like, I never knew what was going to happen with the Jets in this last year. You know, like the one thing that was fairly consistent is they weren't going to string wins together. By the end of it, they weren't going to beat a team above the playoff line. So there were some consistencies there. But they'd come out one night and beat Tampa Bay 7-4, and then they'd show up the next night and get, you know, like barely squeaked by Seattle. So that was a fun... I think I think what you're saying is they weren't really a team. Well, I mean, teams, I guess, are, are on the same page. Uh, so in that matter, no, it was a team that did not look to be on the same page, which I think, you know, uh, Rick Bonus was addressing yesterday. Um, I want to get into some uh, Jets, Canadians angles before we get into the first overall stuff, because I want to feed the beast. And I know that our audience is, you know, kind of intrigued by what's happening with Pierre-Luc Dubois right now. What can you tell us? You know, on your end, I know that he spent some time there. I'm not saying you talked to him or anything, but what's the word outside of Winnipeg on where Pierre-Luc Dubois is right now and what well, he before, wants? Before, before I answer, can I apologize to your audience for sniffling here? It feels like I've got a feather up one of my nostrils. I have, like, constant allergies. It's just that type of year for me. Um, listen, Pierre-Luc Dubois is always going to be a hot topic name in Montreal, especially knowing that going back to the Bergevin era, the Canadians were – very heavily invested in trying to acquire him and they were considering doing all kinds of things to do it which ultimately didn't come to fruition because they weren't they didn't have a piece like patrick line to do it and they didn't you know ultimately want to go that far down the road to do it you know they were hoping that inevitably the market would freeze up and and that yarmo would have to accept what mark bergman was going to sell him a different story now right and teams in a different area and and if if it is a real thing that Pierre-Luc Dubois is not willing to be long-term in Winnipeg. You know, on one hand, from the outside looking in, that's I think that's heartbreaking for Jets fans just seeing how he rebounded last year. Last year, and the way he played, you know, this this past season, he really was 
if he wasn't their best player, uh, I'd have a hard time naming somebody else who was. Uh, is it unqualified to say that he was their best player this year? I mean, Kyle Connor had. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I never slowed down. Fine. You can always absolutely Connor Hellebuck is that guy consistency wise, because uh, um, he did, he did have uh, some consistency issues that okay. seemed to poke into his game here and there. He'd go quiet at least offensively. Doesn't put in a bad game, but the offense can go to sleep for a little while. Josh Morris, okay. he was pretty consistent this year, but but his his name's in the conversation, and a lot of the fans in here will 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 die on that hill because when I when I pointed out his lack of production sometime. I, I took a battering, Eric. So I think we'll also we'll, what we will agree on for sure is that he was really disappointing in the playoffs, and he was under a lot of pressure to come back and leave a very different optic in Jets fans' eyes, and yes. he managed to do that with the way he played this year. And I think it's heartbreaking that you know you, you know the challenges for Winnipeg, you know that they have to kind of go along with some of the players, that they have to incentivize them to say, hey, you know. It may not be Los Angeles. It may not be Montreal, but you know we have something special here, and you can be a part of it. And to know that you know he might more be interested in just getting out on the market or or being somewhere else after a year or two more, and then okay, he's he's happy there, but not happy enough that he'd like to stay. Is it's tough to hear if you're a Jets fan. I have no idea. So, like, I, I have no doubt. I should say I, from the Montreal angle, you know. This is a team that for the better part of three decades has not had an elite number one centerman. And Pierre-Luc Dubois at points over his career has shown that he absolutely has that ability. So if his if he gets out there, and it and I don't think he's getting out there right now, you know, like, but if he gets out there at some point, this team will be in the mix to potentially acquire him. They have a lot going on this week that could change who they are as a team. Uh, but I don't think I don't think they'll be out of the the race for a player like that if he becomes available. Now I know Ken is uh, he's looking like he's close to joining. I don't want to speak for him, but I know that he was okay. So I'm going to bring Ken into the show now. Hopefully there he is. Pull it together. It's a little funny, <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. We've that. been to this before. We know. We know. <laughs> hey, there's a reason players in the league complain about Winnipeg's internet. This is what you're seeing first time right here. <laughs> But, uh, Wait, are you guys both coming here? Is that the deal? We are. We are. We're. We're, we're sharing oh. a room together. This is. Now he wanted to share Full a single bag. Deal. I'm not there yet, but we'll see what happens by the end of the trip. Um, Ken, your idea. Uh, you had some ideas of maybe some big swing type trades. Um, did you want to run any of that past Eric? You know, involving the number one pick and. Pierre-Luc Dubois, did we want to go there? Uh, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to gauge here is what what the Jets would be willing to do tomorrow or in the coming days, and what Montreal would be willing to do in the coming days. I know Eric that Montreal was talking about maybe making some moves to get a second pick, you know, to the delight of the fans. But Ken, uh, I'll just hand it over to you and give you an idea of what you think. Because we're talking Pierre-Luc Dubois, Eric's giving us a good, you know, outside angle of it. I want you to give us the inside angle of where you think Pierre Dubois stands right now, and what a team like Montreal, who may be interested in him, would have to do to acquire. Yeah, I think from the last couple of days uh, since we since we had our theory at the Stanley Cup final, I think it's much more likely that Montreal would be in the market for trying to get that second overall pick, maybe in a deal involving uh, Josh Anderson, some kind of package around there, and maybe the, the second that second first round, right, Eric? Isn't that sort of what the the buzz is now? But 
Uh, around the Stanley Cup final, where were some some whispers maybe that, uh, you know, I don't think the Jets want to move Dubois, but maybe if that first overall pick was involved, maybe there'd be a chance that they would consider maybe ex- expediting the, the process. But uh, I think that would be the only way – that the only way if Montreal does not make the first overall pick, it has to be a deal involving the French-Canadian Pierre-Luc Dubois, but it would also have to be a deal involving a contract extension that would be in play. But uh, I would say the likelihood is, especially after the way Kevin Cheveldayoff answered your question yesterday, Sean, uh, he was pretty pretty dismissive in terms of, I think that the times where he listens, I don't think he's listening on Pierre-Luc Dubois, but it wouldn't surprise me if there was a conversation had at some point uh, especially given the, you know, sort of seems like there isn't a consensus with the Canadians right now, Eric. Is that fair to say it's still kind of split in terms of who the number one overall would be if they only I, have I, the one choice? You know what? I, I, I'll answer that, Kenny, but I'm I'm listening to you talk and thinking more about Winnipeg now. Because sure. what what would Montreal be able to give them right now? Even if it was the first overall pick, which is let's let's just be honest right now yes, with any fan that's out there thinking that's not happening. Um, what would they give them that would advance their agenda for this season? Like, I, I can't. No, that, and that's why I say, I mean, I, I think that the, the prospect of Shane Wright for eight seasons maybe is better than the prospect of Pierre-Luc Dubois for one, but yeah. based on the timelines, we can strike, we can strike that possibility, right? We can strike <laughs> Montreal is not trading the first overall pick for Pierre-Luc Dubois unless Pierre-Luc Dubois is coming with a sweetheart contract and uh, like another amazing player with him. Like it's, it just doesn't make sense. And I, I and from Winnipeg's angle, even what you're saying kind of makes sense, but also it's, you know, do you see the three players at the top of this draft as the ones that you are willing to make that big of a wave move for? Um, I know my my personal opinion of the draft in general, and no, I, I don't think the Canadians. I think if the Canadians are decided, you know, they've been pretty open about everything they've been doing, and this is something that they want to be extremely close about. You know, like anybody who tells you right now they know exactly who they're picking is lying. Like if I'm I'm not saying this in any measure of like being conceited or anything like that. If, if I don't know. I, I really don't think anybody else does. I, I've spoken to everybody I could speak to about this and looked under every rock and they want to keep it tight and they should. They're hosting the draft. They have this incredible moment ahead of them to and so much drama involved in it and their fans are so into it. As before you came in, Sean was talking about seven hundred dollars scalp tickets to get into the draft just to hear names get called, right? Like they're not leaking this and putting this out and telling people, yeah, we made our decision, it's this guy. Like they're, they're, this is going to be a big moment. I was on the phone actually today with, uh, with, well, I can't really say who, but I said, you know, he, he asked me, who, who do you think is going to make the pick? Who's, who's going to be the player or the person for the Canadians to make the pick? I said, you know, if you really wanted to make it extremely dramatic, slap the C on Suzuki and have him go make the pick. That would be something really, you know. Uh, an explosive reaction out of the Bell Center if that happened. It's going to be crazy anyways. They're going to blow the roof off. But anyways, I'm I'm rambling. I'm all over the place here. I I even forgot what you asked me now, Ken. How cool would that be? It would be pretty... It would be amazing. Is there any scenario where Kent Hughes is pushing fast forward on the rebuild itself, Eric? And 
is that part of why they're considering a second first round pick and, and maybe moving somebody that has is more of a veteran? The answer is absolutely yes, provided that the scenario presents itself to him. So, you know, he's open to all possibilities. He's going to take his time with this. And what he's doing is going to necessitate time. There's just a cap situation that he's got to deal with where he can't just clear out any and every contract that he wants to uh, and suddenly make the Canadians worse, not only in the short term, but the long term, because he, he hasn't accepted the assets that will enable him to see his vision through, right? So the answer is, you know, would he press fast forward if he could? Yes. And, and if those opportunities present themselves to him, which they're going to, you know, not necessarily this week, but they're going to over the next, look, when you look at who the Canadians are, right, like, and where they have to get to in order to be who they want to be, it's got to happen when Suzuki is, you know, 24, 25, Caulfield is 23, 24. It's not that far down the line. You know, it's a couple of years. But if they can get there faster and, and extend that window as much as possible, they're going to be looking for those opportunities. They're not necessarily going to be actively chasing them because they're perfectly patient with the plan that they have. But those those opportunities are going to come to them. And so, look, they didn't want to trade Arturi Lekkanen. You know, they, they saw exactly what Arturi Lekkanen was. They knew it was going to cost a lot more money to keep him in Montreal. And they knew that they were getting guaranteed. It, 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 as much as there's no guarantees in this business, you know exactly what Arturi Lekkanen is going to be for six, seven years. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get from him. You, you'll be willing to pay. And Joe Sackick or whoever else will be willing to pay. But they got presented an offer where they got a, a really good prospect and a second-round pick, and it, it fits with their plan, and they're willing to do it. If somebody came to them now and said, we want Josh Anderson, and this is what we're going to do for it, and I'm not going to come up with some HF board scenario for you, they don't want to trade Josh Anderson because Josh Anderson fits exactly how they want to play and who they want to be. And he's under contract. Some people would debate it's a bad contract, but it's a contract that he could actually provide great value on if he plays the way he should uh, for the majority of it. And they're not looking to trade him. But if somebody comes in and says, we're going to do this, and it actually advances their plan and gets them there faster, they're not going to turn away from it. They're, th this is the position they're in right now, 30 seconds. Um, I'm going to try bringing in Sam here, guys. He looks like he's having a similar situation as Ken here, but we'll bring him in and we'll see what his his uh, internet is looking wow. like. How are you doing, Sammy? We're, we're going with authenticity uh, here, gentlemen. It's, I, just I love in, it. We got a little Sportsnet action in the background. We got the gaming champs over here, it looks like. Oh, boy. Surprise there oh, yeah. part of that. And then, of course, you got this ugly mug here, so. Yeah, Sammy, Sammy, you're you're in the spot where me and Sean do all our hits together. Yeah, I was yeah. gonna say I don't remember I don't remember that Canadian symbol down in the cobblestone there. That looks gorgeous. Uh, they know how to do it right there, guys. I'm gonna ask you you both something here because since we're on the topic with the Canadians, someone earlier on had asked when there's kind of no consensus on the top pick, why not be open to moving the top pick this season? I'm going to say this. If I were a Montreal Canadiens fan, I'd be really nervous right now. And the names that make me nervous are, I know they haven't picked first overall. I think it's since uh, uh, Doug Wickenheiser, correct? His last time that the Canadians picked first overall. But the closest they got was two third overall picks in the fairly recent history, which are Galchenyuk and caught Kanyemi. And those are two names that did not turn out the way that you would hope or maybe even expect top three picks 
to turn out. So if I'm a Canadians fan, the last thing I wanted to hear was there's no consensus number one overall pick this year when we finally get it. And that, and that there's a lot of people that think you could do just as good at two or three. So I'm going to start with you, Sam. And Eric, I want you to kind of counter with what you're hearing locally here. But I don't know if you've heard from GM Sam or anything, but in your opinion, would this be a good year to maybe move down two or three or try and swing something big where, where you, you know, you could, you could maybe get one, two, three pick, but add something else. And then Eric, I'm going to ask you to end with this is the idea that would that upset the audience if they're there and they find that they lose that first pick, but they still, still pick two or third, three and add something else. So hopefully I didn't convolute it too much, but Sammy, go for it. Um, I don't, it's, it's never really happened to move the first oral pick. And I don't think it should happen this, this time around. I mean, you know, if we look at the 2023 draft, we, I think we, we see more clarity. We've talked about Connor Bedard and, and Matt V. Mitchkoff and how that's going to be a battle like Taylor Hall and, and Tyler Sagan. Uh, if hockey's being allowed to be played the way that we expect it to be, um, you know, obviously with the conflict in Ukraine may very well convolute things once again. But getting back to this, scenario i think they're in a great spot montreal i mean shane wright had a bad season at 94 points according to a lot of people um, i don't think it gets enough credence it's the fact that he's missed an entire season period and you can't you can't get around that your draft minus one year is huge and everyone previous to him has had the opportunity to play somewhat uh, if not all of a draft minus one year and continue that most important developmental year shane missed it altogether. now for slavkovsky there are some people and detractors that would say, yeah, he scored five goals in Liga this year. Oh, okay, but he scored seven in the Olympics. And, and you can debate what the Olympic competition looks like, looked like. You can debate what the world championship competition looked like. But what it says to me is that he's been on a, a steady rise all season long. And when you're looking at the power scoring forward with that kind of size, they are not easy to come by. Neither are right-handed centers who can play both ends of the ice. So it's a great debate to be had. And I don't think you can go wrong with either guy. Um, having said that, because there's so much great debate and because we don't have that clear McDavid, uh, you know, McKinnon Matthews scenario, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a great player at number one. Eric, sorry, I'm just going to re-ask the question because I know I convoluted the hell out of it that last time. But I mean, if 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 it ends up in a situation where <laughs> if it ends up in a situation where, you know, like people are sitting there on draft day and the Canadians kind of take a look and see that, you know, maybe one is not that much different from two or three or whatever. Do you see them potentially doing that? Or, or is there too much at stake right now at home in your building with the number one pick? I would bet all of our money that they're picking first overall. And who do you, who do and you think they're picking, money, Let me tell you. You know what? <laughs> everybody's, everybody's asking me, and I'm the wrong guy to ask. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm a big believer, and I've watched, listen, I, I've watched 20 to 30 games of right, okay? I, I've watched video, all that stuff. I've watched Slavkovsky at the Olympics. Um, I went and tracked down some video of Cooley at the, at the um, you know, in his program, at the National Development Program. Um, I don't think Cooley is really in this discussion based on what I'm being told. I really think it's the top two guys. Um and for as much as I really believe that I know this game really well, but guys, I have never seen these players play live and I have never sat down and talked with either one of them. And knowing that I'm missing 50 to 60% of the information. If you can't, I understand how great technology is. And I understand that the scouting technology even allows for 
a non-live viewing to be that much more in depth, right? You can zero in on a specific player, you can see what he's doing away from the puck, but I can't from as a reporter watching from home on television, watching tape. And if I cannot see what a player can do away from the puck, uh, on a, not not in one shift, but over like a, like a 20 game sample, I cannot tell you specifically what that player is. And I find so much of the opinion is so convoluted on the internet um, even from people who claim to be real experts and not like ones that, that Sam is. And I'm telling you right now, if I wasn't sitting on the floor, you know, Thursday and Friday, I would be watching Sam do his thing because last year when I watched the draft and the insanity that happened around Montreal and all that, but like Sam, you were incredible and this is your thing and this is your party and like you just... God. I know you live for this, and what you put into it is just That's incredible. Thank you. And 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 I, I really defer to people like you when it comes to this stuff. As much as I know the game, and I have contacts within it, and I speak to everybody, and I get their opinions. I'm not here to regurgitate this person and that person's opinion. And if you're asking me for mine, it's it's unfortunately missing something. So before I leave, I really want to know from Sam, who's the guy here. Who's the guy that if you can't, you maybe can't tell us who the Canadians are taking because I know I can't right yep. now. No, who can? But can you, they, can you tell us they, I don't who think they, they should? A, yeah, I don't think they have a final say yet either. I think that's wow. going to continue. I, from what I can understand, they're going to meet with Slavkovsky here in the next couple of days, and that will be the final meeting. They've met with Shane Wright a number of times already. I don't want to say six to be exact. And so they, they've done all that due diligence. So for me, I. I am a little bit biased because I go back with Shane to when he was 14 years old playing with the Don Mills Flyers. I hosted the OHL Cup Banquet that year. He won the GTHL Player of the Year, and I got to spend a bit of time with him, interview him in front of an audience of 600 other kids and family members, but also spend a little bit of time with him and his family afterwards. And that relationship has kind of continued over the over the years. And I am a little bit biased because I probably put a lot more uh, weight into character and that's not saying anything about Slavkovsky. When he was in our room at the Combine, he was awesome. He's got great presence, like seemed like an unbelievable kid. But I feel like I know Shane better. So from a character perspective, you'd be hard-pressed to go anywhere that people would play with him, coach them, trainers, equipment managers, that would have a bad thing to say about Shane. And I think the Montreal Canadiens would, would feel very strongly about that. Now, from a playing perspective, though, I look at that two-way guy. And while he's not going to produce to the levels of a McDavid or a Matthews or a McKinnon, he's not going to be dynamic like any of those players. That second-line guy who can play both ends of the ice, who can be counted on in multiple situations, is a really important guy. So I don't want to go down the Padres Bergeron road, um, but I will say that that's something that I think is really, really important in today's game. A scoring winger with that kind of size, that's unicorn-type stuff as well. So you, you're not going to go wrong there. But for me, I tend to lean towards Shane a little bit more, and I'm biased because I know the person a bit better. Sean, can I ask a question here before I depart? Of course, of course. Sam, Sam, Kent Hughes said two things to me that really stood out yesterday, and I think he's 100% right about them. The first is, is that there's enormous pressure that comes with being the number one overall pick, but it's almost that much bigger if you're the number one overall pick of the Montreal Canadiens. He's 100% right about that, I think. The second thing he said is, we are not trying to pick the best 18-year-old player that's here right now. We are trying to pick 
the player who is going to be the best player at 22, 23, 24. And we are trying to see which one of them is going to show that he has the capacity to improve and improve and improve and reach a level that, you know, is at the heights. Does Shane have that? Is that who Shane is? Because that's the question that needs to be answered. I think he does because based on, on, you know, what the scouting community is saying this year, it was an off year. There was times of indifference. We worried about his compete, the work ethic, so on and so forth. I think where you have to get a proper gauge on Shane is you go back to the under 18s where he was playing with all-star players. And, and I don't want to disrespect the Zade Wisdoms and the Lucas Edmonds, you know, Philadelphia draft pick. Edmonds will go on this draft at some point. Uh, Martin Kromiak and L.A. Kings pick. Um, but not at the same level as a Connor Bedard or, or what I believe to be a really good player in Brennan Othman, uh, whom he was playing with at that under-18s. And there, even while hurt, missed two games, he still got a sense for what this guy could do in a situation where there's a lot more flow to the game, in a situation where he's playing with A, number one players. And so I do see that potential once he gets to the National Hockey League. Now, is that going to be as soon as next year? That's hard to say because he missed that year of development. But I think we're just scratching the surface with what Shane can be. Having said that, you know, is he going to be a number one guy on a Stanley Cup winning team? I don't know if that's the case, but you sure as hell need two or three three at centers at least in order to win a Stanley Cup. And that's been proven over the last five, six, eight, ten years. Um, having said that about Slavkovsky, I love when he talks about himself and says, you know what, guys, I'm good now, but I have a lot of room to improve. And what we've seen and, and why the uh, – you know, that point by, by Ken Hughes is so salient is because we've seen that this year rise and rise and rise from Slavkovsky. I mean, the guy had four points in 26 games before he went to the Olympics, and he basically took off after the Olympics. So you love to see that progression year over year. And when you look at Shane, everyone's talking about, well, okay, downtime here, COVID here, this and that. Yeah, the guy still had 94 points and, and I think 14 points in 11 playoff games. That's still pretty darn good. So I don't know, Eric. To answer your question, if he has the same ceiling as what Slavkovsky will uh, aspire to in three or four years. But what I will say is I think there's still a lot of growth in Shane's game, and I think Shane's game is more complete right now. So the growth in the complete game is something that you also have to be cognizant of. Um, guys, we should uh, we, we're going to switch a little bit to uh, more of a focus on what the Jets are going to do with their first couple uh, picks here. So, Eric, really appreciate you jumping in, my man. Thank you so much. I will see you tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to dinner tomorrow night. Great job as usual. Uh, I know our audience thanks you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, and I'm hoping Sammy and Ken will be there. I'll fill you guys guys in on the details. Sammy, I'll see you later. And and you guys are phenomenal. The, what you did all year with Kenny and Rennie, oh, I watched the show a lot, even when I was, you know, uh, stuck in Montreal working. You guys are great. Always lots of energy, lots of laughs. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on all the time. Of course, you you were our honorary third member of the show that uh, last year. You didn't even get to hear me talk about. We did the show out of Montreal last year. He was oh, great guest. to see Eric, man. I can't wait to see him like live and in person. It's awesome. Yeah, um, Ken, I'm gonna let you go with the next one here uh, because you've there been you shut out uh, for a little bit here. So uh, go for yeah, it. Yeah, no, 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 no problem, Sam. You know we talked. I'm gonna do a little night. walk and talk. Okay? Yeah, so no, no problem. No problem. So what's going on here? I think this Sammy, is so cool. Like. 
with the Jets yeah. having the two picks, Sam, do you think there is a potential for some movement, whether it's up or down, uh, whether it's with the 14th or the 30th? I mean, the last time the Jets had two picks was 2016. They got Liney at two and then traded up from 22 to 18 to get Logan Stanley. Uh, just based on the variations of the boards, do you see some action uh, when it comes to the Jets picks uh, here in round one? I, I don't anticipate it currently, but with the volatility that I project this draft to have, once you start getting into the, the 10, and, and I, I strongly believe there's 10 names that most people have. So if something goes awry inside of that 10, and there's a guy that you would have had inside of 10 that now sits there at 11, then maybe things will, will change and hasten. But as it stands right now, I think Winnipeg's pretty happy with, with where it is. I, I do like the 14th pick. If I could get up four spots, I would like to do that. But then again, you know, that's, that's going to cost you, I, I think, an asset that you probably don't want to give up in order to do that. Um, you know, that pick later in the draft is going to be really wild too. And that's where I think there might be an opportunity to make a move only because, again, with the volatility of this draft, we're talking about um, a group that I think is about 30 to 35 players deep to take up what I would consider the final 22 spots. And so having said that, if you're picking at the end of the first round and you're sitting there and you're one of the nine teams that doesn't have a first round pick and you're like, wow, the list has gone a little bit awry here, then there's going to be some offers made on that pick and probably something that the Jets will will like. Um, but I don't really see it happening with 14. With the second pick, I, I do see some possibilities there. Sammy, give us an idea of what people can expect this draft to look like. Like I, I, I can't, I can't tell because I'm hearing that you know basically there's so much confusion on what's happening with the first overall pick. But at the same time, I don't think anyone is suggesting that this is a year where the first overall pick. I mean, it's not like where people are saying no doubt Shane Wright or Slavkowski are generational type players. So I think a lot of times people you know judge the draft based on the top guys and everything else follows because we've got like the two. 2015 year right where Connor McDavid goes and then everyone else who goes as a star deeper and deeper and deeper but it's not always like that is it is there good value in this draft compared to other years and and maybe you could give us like a comparison to another year that you think the kind of value exists in this one I do I do think there is good good value here but it's less certain and only because any way you slice it or to dice it guys have missed a lot of time so Ontario Hockey League didn't play. If you played in the Western League, you played 24 games in a, in a bubble against, depending on what bubble you're in, mediocre competition. If you're in the Quebec League, you stopped and started a thousand times. Um, you still played a modified schedule. Yeah, they, they got to it, the championship and so on, but still nowhere near what you typically get in your draft minus one year. So all of that uncertainty, and again, to speak of the European players who, you know, if they weren't playing J20 or J18, and they had to go play up uh, a level, didn't get a lot of time with their respective men's uh, professional teams or any time at all. So it is a, a real challenge to try and make that determination. And that's why I think we have this scattershot um, ideal uh, behind the players after the first 10 picks. But I do think there is going to be some value later on. I think there's going to be some guys who are late bloomers and Owen Pickering would be one of those guys. Maverick Lamaru would be one of those guys. Both of those guys are really big defensemen who I think are just starting to come into their own. Noel Warren, who I projected to go with the last pick in the first round, is another one of those guys, a big defenseman with so much upside and so much potential to still realize that I do think there's some value there. Uh, comparing it to another draft, man, I haven't really haven't really thought that one through. Um, 
I, I do look at some similarities to the 2019 only because of the influx of what we're going to see from the U.S. Uh, development program, where that year they set all kinds of records, you know, Hughes and Zegers, Turcotte, uh, Caulfield, that group. I don't think this group is as high end as that group, but in terms of the quantity in the first round, we'll get close there. I think six to eight players from that program will end up going in the first round. So you see some similarities there. But comparing it to most other drafts, at least in recent history, we've always seen a goaltender or two challenging uh, for a spot in the first round. That's not going to happen at all this year. So that is, is something that will make this draft uh, unique. Um, and again, we don't have that that generational guy that we're used to seeing every couple of years, if not in back-to-back years like we did in 2015 16. So this thing, I think, is a beast unto its own. And I really don't think it has a, a comparable in terms of drafts past. Sammy, uh, we've talked a lot about the Winnipeg Ice guys on our preview shows during the Western Hockey League playoffs. But what's your sense in terms of where maybe Connor Geeky and Matthew Savoy sit right now? And is there the potential for one of them to be left on the board when the when Kevin Sheveldayoff steps to the podium at number 14? Yeah, on my mock, I have Geeky going there at 14. Um, you know, size uh, at center ice is obviously very coveted. Um, you know, I think there are some holes in this game that, that Connor needs to address. And I think with a brother who's in the game and a father who's been around it for a long time, that those are things that they will be able to to work towards improving upon. Matthew Savoy is the really interesting guy to me. He was in my top 10 all season long. Uh, we're so closely butted up to the end of the cup. And you see how size plays a factor that I'm wondering. And, and I do believe that it might have pushed him just outside of the top 10. I have Matthew going uh, number 11 to the San Jose Sharks. But he's a guy for me that is of, of great interest uh, because he pops when he goes out there. And he looks a lot more like maybe a, a Logan Cooley um, than, you know, when comparing him to those those generational guys that we talked about. And I'm not saying he's McDavid or a Matthews or a McKinnon, but I'm saying he does have that same sort of pop when you see him out on the ice in terms of his passing ability, in terms of how he scoots around the ice, not afraid to go to you know, the hard areas to, to be able to retrieve pucks. So he's a guy of real interest to me here uh, when it comes to this draft is, is Savoy and, and where he ends up going. Um, I should I should uh, let everyone know, again, in the chat, I posted at the top of the chat Sam's article, his final draft ranking uh, positions. Uh, it's really good to go check out if you want to get Sam's take on everyone and a little bit of a deeper dive into all the players. One so thing I, that I, I love... I'm just going to interrupt you quick there. So, so... I, I want to make a, and I, and I do this in a lot of the podcasts that I go on, a differentiation. The mock draft came out since you guys came to air. So that's a little bit different than the rankings. The rankings are, are how I would see it if I were the guy making yeah. the pick. And the you, mock yeah. draft, which I think is, is where you're thinking along with the teams, that varies a little bit. And so I don't yeah. want to look like, oh, my God, this guy changed his mind at the last second. They're two different animals. And I think yeah. it's important to, to point that out and, and sometimes the fan base doesn't realize that, especially if you're kind of new to this and you haven't watched before. So so the mock is up there. The final rankings are up there. I think Jason Bukala has a piece that everybody should read uh, based on his experience as a director of scouting or a former director of scouting with the with the Florida Panthers. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make that distinction. Uh, yeah, no problem. I'm, I love that you bring it up, uh, especially because I wanted to talk specifically about a player on your list that you have ranked higher than most uh, areas that I see him ranked, and so I, 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 you can tell me whether or not he, you, you have him ranked higher than where you have him being taken. But I wanted to talk about Denton Matejchuk, a local kid here. Uh, people have heard me talk about him before. Um, 
I think that this is a player that is going to get selected and is going to outperform a lot of the guys who are taken ahead of him. Um, now, I say this, only haven't seen him play a couple of times. I did call a Winnipeg Ice playoff game against the Moose Jaw Warriors that he was in. And Sammy, I think I said it to you. I th- think I got off. I texted you right away. But he popped all night. And I actually thought in that game he outperformed uh, Savoy and Geeky. Now, let's make it clear, there's a lot more space for him to do that. There's a lot of really good players on the Winnipeg Ice, so there's competition for ice time that Savoy had to go through and Geeky had to go through. Gentleman Tachuk, you can kind of tell his coaches just said, take the ice, it's yours, and do what you want with it. But I was blown away by what he was able to do, the confidence he was able to play with. Um, what has him higher on your list than most lists I see him on and uh, and give us an idea of where you think he's going to go. So I'm a huge Matejchuk fan, like m- me personally. Um, but the variance that I'm getting from the scouting community is really all over the map. I've had people wow. as high as just outside the top 10, and I've had guys say, oh, yeah, he's going to end up dropping to the end of the first round. And I, that's a pretty wide variance. But I guess in this draft, it doesn't surprise me entirely. But he's a guy that I've really come to enjoy. I've met him on a couple of different occasions. Um, you know, I, I like the fact that he's an athlete, obviously a very good baseball player, um, you know, growing up playing that game at a high level for uh, until he had to make a decision. Uh, I've talked to DeMarco Lear, the head coach in, in Moose Jaw, on a number of occasions about him and the leadership he brings and the habits he brings to, to practice and how he lifts the intensity of the rest of the group by how he plays and practices and just some of the things off ice and how he commands respect from the rest of his teammates. Those are all hugely important elements for um, you know, having success in the National Hockey League. And so Denton is filled with all of those things. You know, having said that, if I look at the high-end guys in this draft class, starting with Nemitz, moving to Juracek, Korczynski, Minchikov, um, and then I think Ryan Chesley is a guy who may, might sneak in there as part of that group of five, and then maybe Denton Matejchuk and Lamoureux, Warren, Owen Pickering, those guys sort of fall in in, that, in, in what I would maybe call a second-tier defenseman, if you will. So uh, I, again, a fascinating guy. Uh, the scouting community has him all over the map. He's a guy that have somewhere in, in the middle of the pack, and, and I think uh, you're right uh, when, when you bet on character. He's full of it. Sam, let's stay with the U.S. National Development Program guys a little bit here. Guys in that range for the Jets would be Jimmy Snuggerud and also Frank Nazar. What do you like about those two guys, and sort of how do you see their day unfolding on Thursday? Well, Snuggerud is really good around the net. I mean, anywhere in front of the net in terms of tipping pucks, chasing down rebounds, um, you know, being a, a nuisance to the goalie, he's really good in that area around the net. And I, and I love that because that's where so many goals are scored if you look at all the analytics uh, in hockey these days. So I, I love that part about him. Skating, decent, size, good. Dad played in the league, always a plus in my opinion. Um, and when it comes to... Uh, what we're seeing out of the program in terms of some of these other guys, you know, we talk about Cooley and Goche, and of course, uh, you know, we get to Frank Nazar and he's a really interesting guy because I get the sense from Frank, he's a little bit of a different character than the rest of the group. Typically you're seeing a group in, that comes out of that program that is a supremely confident group and not that Frank is not a confident guy, but he seems to be a little bit more humbled and a guy who uh, maybe just, I guess kind of knows his place maybe better than some that I've seen that come out of the program. Now, you know, that Eagle can serve you well, definitely uh, in the long run, 
when you're going to play in the National Hockey League and you're in a room with a bunch of type A personalities. But for Frank, I know there's been some hard times with his family. He's got three sisters. You know, his dad owned a, a parking garage near Joe Louis Arena, which is where they kind of got introduced to the game and what made him want to play. But he's a really good worker. He's a tight space guy. He turns quickly, accelerates quickly, and, and can gain separation on opponents really quickly. So that part of the game, which is played um, these days, he's really good in, in those parts of the game. So two uh, entirely different guys. Uh, I like them both. If you lean towards the size, then Snuggerud would obviously be your choice there. Um, Sammy, I, uh, waiters right here read my mind because I remember watching Brad Lambert play, you know, a couple of years ago before everything blew up. And this guy looked like he was in the conversation early on for being the first overall pick. And I've just seen him drop and drop. I remember watching him play, hearing his story. I think his dad's a Canadian guy who went over and played pro hockey over in Finland. Now he's a Finnish guy with a Canadian name. Um, But what happened to Brad Lambert, who looked like he was on the course to most definitely being a top 10, if not a top five player? So it's funny you say that. I I talked to one scout today and, and they're saying, you know, when you go to Liga and watch Liga, it's not particularly fun hockey. It's a lot of trapping. It's a lot of D zone play. It's, it's a lot of having to fight through things. And, you know, unless you come with a power game like a Slavkovsky, you can fight through some of those things. You're going to be challenged as a younger player. Uh, having said that, if you go back to last year, even a year younger, 15 points in 46 games, pretty good. And everyone expected a, a big rise this year after getting that experience. With the stops and starts of the year, I think it's been challenging for Brad changing teams, moving away from, from Kemmel, um, whom he's played with uh, w- uh, on the Yip team at the start of the year and moving over to the Pelicans. And the numbers didn't really change a whole lot, but I do think that was alarming to some scouts as to why that change was made. Um, and, and so when it comes to Brad, if you're looking at him in a skill set in a vacuum, every part of his game translates. Um, you know, could he think it a little better? Sure. You know, could he be a little harder on pucks with more strength? Sure, all of those things come, come into play. But in terms of, you know, playing quick, uh, being able to beat guys on the outside, going to the inside, going to the net, making plays, having good vision, all of those things are, are present in his game. And so that's what is confounded scouts is the fact that you have all of these key elements, yet you're still not able to produce. Like, what, what's going on here? And, you know, I, I think there's some background noise with this player, too, that some people are concerned about. Um, and, and that's been, you know, present here over the last couple of years. How about a quick one on, uh, Philip Massar, uh, Sam, we talked a little bit about him last night. Uh, he's a kind of explosive winger can score. Uh, I mean, he could be in the range for the Jets second round or second, first round pick. Uh, what do you like about his game? Uh, I like the fact that he's a pretty well-rounded guy. He's got good compete to his game. Sometimes you see those offensive players that are playing in the men's European league and they pop simply because of their numbers. But this guy pops for more than that. And I think I can appreciate that part of, of Messar's game. And he's a guy that uh, I know uh, people think he's really, really intelligent with his hockey IQ. And that's something that's going to play no matter what. He's got the speed to match the ability to think the game at that speed. And that's also a really important element. So there is going to be some... Uh, some teams looking at him, I believe, in the latter half of the first round, and Winnipeg would, would be in that range. 
Sammy, uh, in a year where there's so many question marks, and I, I think you did a phenomenal job of showing people why this is one of those years that, you know, there, there wasn't as much time to, do, to take a look at these kids. A lot of these kids didn't have as much development as others. So, you know, one of the things you have to factor into this is when they do start getting to play more, what they're going to look like, what they're going to turn into. Um, I think this, I personally think this is one of the years where the teams that really invest in their scouting staff and have really good scouting staffs could really kind of make hay this year. Uh, and teams that don't could really get exposed. Um, who are some of the teams you think are primed to have a really good draft because of the scouting staffs that they have in place? Well, I mean, I, I always like Tampa. Uh, they don't have a ton of picks here. They do pick at the end of the first round. They did manage to keep that pick and likely will present a trade-back scenario so that they can get a couple of seconds. And they've had success doing that uh, in, in previous drafts, um, both in 2014-15, uh, I believe. So I always like what they do. Uh, the Ottawa Senators, their scouting staff, it's small, but, man, is it ever mighty. And Trent Mann, who's the head guy there, just does an unbelievable job with, with limited resources. I hope that in the future that, that things change for that staff because they've done a really good job uh, you know, unearthing some, some of that top-notch talent. Uh, and But the thing for me with Ottawa is, like, what's going to happen with that seventh pick? You kind of think that they're going to have to move on it. So uh, are they going to get the opportunity beyond that to be able to have an impact? Those are uh, three teams I have a great appreciation for in their ability to draft. Um, and, and those would be the teams with their resources and their previous success that I'd be looking at three, four years down the road that they've done some damage, especially in the latter stages of it. Sammy, I'm going to board my flight right away here after this one. I know you got to get going as well, but uh, you're, we talked a lot about the Manitobans that could be first rounders. Uh, you had an opportunity to watch Adam Ingram uh, with his Youngstown team. Uh, He's one of the more intriguing guys because of the raw raw materials, right? Where, how do you see his uh, kind of week unfolding here? Sounds like it could be anywhere between the second and fourth rounds. Uh, what do you like about his game, and where do you think he, uh, you know, could? What kind of a weekend is he going to have? Maybe it's an amazing story. I think it was limited to, to single digit games in the MJHL last year. And, okay, so you know, pretty good. Uh, just like most people, he was limited, and then he goes to a really difficult league in the USHL and puts up point per game numbers. I am so impressed by that. I am really impressed by that. So he's a he's a good skater. I mean, the, the thing with uh, with Thingram is he's just so slight, and that's something that's obviously going to come with time and you know getting into the weight room and working on a nutritional plan and that sort of thing. Uh, but he's got good hands. He goes to the net. He likes hanging around the net. He shoots the puck pretty good. So there are a lot of really good elements to his game. Uh, but he's just he's young in terms of his hockey playing. You know, eight games last year, I think. That's not nearly enough in a draft minus one to make a determination of what he's like in his draft year, other than the fact that his numbers pop because he was a point per game in a really difficult league with only having eight games of experience the previous year. So a uh, big fan of his. I don't think he gets into the first. At one point I had him in there, but the more I studied this draft class, uh, you know, I, I'm like you. I think he's probably, you know, in the latter stages of the second round and beyond. Sammy, really appreciate you here. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll see you down there. I, I won't be there today, but I'm really hoping to spend some time with you because it's always the best time I spend. Thank you, my friend. Uh, I love it, boys, and I'm pretty pissed. I didn't get the opportunity to bust out the scarf, but maybe there'll be a Budweiser. <laughs> always. We've got plenty of time for the scarf. We'll see you tonight. See you, right, see, there, you see you tonight.
And Kenny, before we go, I just wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, I bring again to the attention of the great work that our sponsors have done to help make this come to fruition. One of them being the Johnson Group. You won't find two businesses with the same challenges, but you will find 30,000 businesses with Chambers Plan. Employee benefits proudly administered by our friends at Johnson Group. Chambers Plan is Canada's number one plan for employee benefits because it evolves with the way you work and live. The plan is run as a not-for-profit designed specifically to support small businesses and its unique pooling strategy keeps rates stable so you won't have any surprises at your next renewal. Chambers Plan now comes with professional consulting on key financial, legal, and HR issues, and teledoc telemedicine services are included with every health option. See how Chambers Plan can benefit, benefit your business by visiting chamberplan.ca. And we've said this once, I'll say it a thousand times, if you appreciate the conversation, the sports conversations that happen in this town, they don't happen without the support of organizations and businesses like the Johnson Group and like Cambrian Credit Union. Ken, I think you got to get going there. So we'll say uh, sayonara to everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Had a great crowd here. Thanks to Winnipeg Sports Talk for sending them in this direction. Fly safe, Ken, and uh, I will see you there tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Tune in for the rest of the week. We're going to have more of these shows, people, uh, live from Montreal. Thank you so much, everyone. Bye-bye.